The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, oh, you know you're in the right place. The buzz today Living for the City. I won't sing it, but those of you who remember Stevie Wonder back in the day, think back to 1974. I won't even read you the lyrics, but it's living just enough, just enough for the city. So here's a newsflash. By 2050, not that far off because we're at 2016, it's estimated that 75% of the world population will live in cities, and that means that there's going to be a big impact. Cities are becoming very aware as you all know with World News, that growth at this unprecedented speed brings challenges as well as opportunities to everything we think of in the city. Transportation, water, energy, pollution, safety. That's our big talk topic for today. So what's new since we did part one of this topic a couple of weeks ago? Well, hate to talk about it, but recent violent attacks in Florida and France, Texas and Turkey, and too many places, unfortunately, to mention, make public safety a top concern everywhere for every single one of us, whether it's where you live, where you work, where you play, where you're visiting. So the question is, how can our governments protect us anywhere we are? Well, Think about the Internet of Things. Great new technological advances and innovations. They've got facial recognition and geofencing and streaming multi-source data analytics. And this gives a little more powerful tools to law enforcement and to security organizations. They can now be aware and sense things. They can detect. They can predict. They can analyze across what we're going to call the entire public safety value chain. So the questions on the table today are, is this new technology enough to keep me safe, you safe, my guests whom I'll introduce in a moment? What are the implications of the data they are collecting on us? We're talking Internet of Things, sensors, data coming in to somewhere from all of us. Besides just to protect us, what's going to happen with that data? And ultimately, Will we need to choose between personal security and data privacy? That could be a big issue. Let me tell you who my guests are, and then we'll get started. First up is Sara Gardner, CTO for the Hitachi Insight Group. Delighted to have her back. Also joining us, Ruth B. Yesner-Clark, who founded the Smart Cities Research Program at IDC back in 2011 and now serves as its global research director. And third on the panel is Marlon Zelkowitz, who leads the SAP Future City Team in North America. 
stellar panel, great insights. We heard from them before. Let's see, we did a show with them on the future of the future with Game Changers on June 14th, just a couple of weeks ago, as I said. So let me start by introducing the quote Sarah Gardner at Hitachi Insight Group has sent me. It's a quote from Niels Bohr. And Sarah, I didn't know that Niels Bohr and I share a birthday, October 7th, not the same year. He was born in 1885. He was a Danish physicist who made foundational contributions to understanding atomic structure and quantum theory, and he received the Nobel Prize in Physics in 1922. He developed the Bohr model of the atom, and the element Borium, B-O-H-R-I-U-M, was named after him. Here's the quote Sarah selected. Prediction is very difficult, especially if it's about the future. Sarah Gardner, how have you been? I've been very well, thank you. And I, I found that uh, quote uh, quite amusing, I guess, uh, in addition to being uh, a renowned physicist, uh, he's also quite the uh, comedian. <laughs> it, it, but, is, um, it is very humorous. And it's, it's, a, it, it's almost like an oxymoron you're predicting and it's the future. Come on. So what was he really thinking? Yeah. And, and, w- and talk to me about how this relates to our smart cities, safe cities topic. Yeah, so as I say, I I chose that quote because it uh, amused me. And even though it says that uh, prediction is difficult, we know that. But with the use of data and IoT, we're actually now unlocking the ability to do some pretty accurate predictions in a lot of of areas. And that's really a combination of the breadth of data that we can now collect, um, as well as the amount of data points that we can actually process. Um, and we're going to be talking a lot about public safety uh, today. So, you know, just taking that as an example, if you think about the amount of surveillance equipment, everything's um, uh, geo and time stamped, uh, social media, uh, demographic and climate data, there's a lot of different sources now um, that, uh, that, that uh, police departments, for example, have access to in order to track uh, what's happening in the city now and what's happened in the past. And when you combine those different perspectives with, uh, with analytics, then you can start to predict relative threat levels for crime in, in different areas with actually surprising um, accuracy. So, so prediction is, uh, is, is top of mind in, in public safety, and it's also top of mind in other areas too, everything like healthcare, predicting the likelihood of, of people developing certain diseases or how successful a drug will be based on their genes. And so overall, prediction is really, um, for me, it's the killer use case for, for IoT. And I, I think being able to preempt uh, and predict uh, problems mm-hmm. um, versus um, using technology to, to address those problems once they've actually already occurred is, is going to transform the way that we live and work and make us safer and also healthier and more productive. So um, it's a funny quote, but uh, I thought it would be a good one to uh, introduce the topic <laughs> of prediction. Definitely is. And, and sorry, I have a question for you. Would you trade privacy for protection, security, and safety? For me personally, yes, yes, I would. Okay, and I'm going to ask the same question to our other panelists. I think it's an interesting question, and uh, yeah, very, very important. Thank you so much, Sarah, for kicking off the conversation. Now let's turn to Ruth B. Yesner-Clark at IDC, and she has sent me another quote from D. Hawk. I'll just give briefly, D. Ward Hawk was born in 1929. He is the founder and former CEO of the Visa Credit Card Association. And interestingly enough, he quite accidentally fell into, through what they call unlikely accidents, 
inventing and becoming chief executive of the credit card system that became Visa International. In May 1984, he resigned his management role and spent almost 10 years in relative isolation working on a 200-acre parcel of land on the Pacific coast to the west of Silicon Valley. And the term, let's see, chaotic organizations, you can look it up, C-H-A-O-R-D-I-C, organizations, very interesting, was his. So here's the quote Ruth B. has selected, quote from DHOC. The problem is never how to get new, innovative thoughts into your mind, but how to get old ones out. Hi, Ruth B., how are you? I'm great, thank you. Thanks for joining us. Tell me, you're a big fan of DHOC. I can tell this is the second time you've picked a DHOC quote. So talk to me about this quote. How does it relate to our topic, smart cities, safe cities, protection, data, IoT? Big topic. So I am a fan of DHOC. I am a fan of, as you said, his chaotic theory, which really takes from the words chaos and order and really speaks to me about what cities and smart cities and safe cities are, which are really a set of highly independent yet actually very closely interconnected systems. And the question I think we're all grappling with is how we take the concept of smart cities to coordinate better and make them more effective and make them into this type of chaotic organization. So the reason why I picked this quote was because it really speaks to me about the power of no. And I Mm -hmm. think um, it's one of the big challenges um, within institutions and municipalities. And I think policing and law enforcement is one of those highly structured organizations that um, grapples with this. And I think we see it a lot in bureaucracy in general, not just in government, but in in places that have done things similarly for a long time. And so this spoke to me about, you know, new ideas always bubble up. People working in cities, they have a lot of ideas for improvements. They can be very creative. But then there's always this, oh, this is the way things are always done. Oh, we don't have resources or budgets. Oh, we have to procure it this way. Oh, no, we have to have this kind of lamppost. Um, and that really stymies taking innovative thinking to the next level. So that this quote really made me think of that. There's lots of great ideas out there, but the challenge is how to get around um, the comfort level that we all have with things the same way, uh, with the processes that are in place, and how we really embrace change. And so that's why this spoke to me, because I think that really relates to a lot of what we're talking about when we talk about smart cities and, and public safety in smart cities. Thank you, Ruth B. Definitely, I agree. And what's your point of view on protection, safety, security on one side of the seesaw and data privacy about you on the other? Where do you you sit or where does that seesaw land? I am a moderate. I I was very impressed that Sarah could answer so definitively on one (laughs) side. Um, I am all for security. I don't think anyone um, wants to feel insecure, unsafe, but I am extremely extremely um, wary of the power of data and the fact that power is corrupting. And so I I feel like we need a great system of checks and balances in place, uh, which we may not have at this point. Okay, thank you. And uh, it's a very serious issue. You know, I was reluctant, uh, and I'm going to talk to Marlon Zalkowitz in a second, reluctant to put in what I'll call a tiny bit of current events into the intro, because there is, it's, we're living in such a scary time that our topic today 
is very, very important for us. And that's why I'm asking each of you personally for your opinions. You're all citizens of somewhere. Right now you're citizens of, of the Internet because we are speaking online. So thank you very much for your very uh, authentic answer, Ruth B. I appreciate it. And, yes, I think I'm with you on that. Marlon Zelkowitz, we've been uh, intoning your name here. Marlon sent me a quote from Alvin Toffler. I think everybody knows his name. He lived from 1928 to my goodness, he just left us a couple of weeks ago, June 27th, mm-hmm. 2016. Oh, my goodness. An American writer and futurist known for his works discussing modern technologies, including the digital revolution, the communication revolution, and emphasis on their effects on cultures worldwide. He is responsible for coining the term information overload. His first major book about the future was Future Shock, worldwide bestseller so far, It sold only 6 million copies. An interesting side note, his wife Heidi Toffler collaborated on most of his writings. They also wrote The Third Wave, another bestseller in 1980, and they also wrote later on Power Shift in 1990. It looks like they were writing a book every 10 years, Marlon. The first one was 70, then 80, and then 90. And uh, interestingly enough, he just predicted a lot of interesting things. He has had an impact on thinking and government leaders worldwide, business and government leaders, including Newt Gingrich and AOL founder Steve Case. So Toffler had huge influence. Here is the quote Marlon has selected. Our technological powers increase, but the side effects and potential hazards also escalate. Oh, my goodness. Marlon, welcome back. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm fine. Are you a big fan of Toffler? You know, I, I pulled his bio last night from my notes, and I didn't realize he had just, just gone by-by a couple of weeks ago. So talk to me about Toffler. Well, I think uh, I noticed that he had left us, and I think that was what inspired me to go back and review what he said. And I think he was very early to identify the power of technology and what the digital revolution and interconnectedness could do and how it could change business and society. But I think he also recognized that, as, as we heard our previous guest say, Ruth B. mentioned, that the power of data um, can give great power to individuals and to government, and it can also be very corrupting. So I think he was very spot on, and I think we have seen this incredible revolution, but I think we're just getting started. But again, I do think that different kinds of side effects and hazards are, are really quite real when you think about how much information you can get access to and what are the different kinds of things you might be able to see or find out about somebody. Uh, we used to talk about, uh, about the six degrees of Kevin Bacon, and I think with Internet technology, that game is probably down to one or two degrees, you know, that you can probably find yeah. someone you know through one of your networks who, who actually does know Kevin Bacon. Probably can. I wouldn't mind knowing him. I'm more interested in Kira Sedgwick. I think she's a wonderful (laughs) actress. Uh, Yeah, I watch major crimes on TNT here in New York, and I know that came from The Closer. That was a a spinoff, and I I have taped a couple of Closer episodes. I want to say one more thing about Toffler, Marlon. Did you know that he foresaw such technological advances as, this list is amazing, cloning, personal computers, the Internet, cable TV, and mobile communications. OMG. Did you know that he, I don't know if he predicted it, but they say in the Wikipedia review, he foresaw them. That's major. How do you think he knew all this, Marlon? I believe he thought about the possibilities. I think he looked at it and said, well, what Ah. if? And he didn't ask himself, you know, he didn't say, what is there today or where can we go? He just thought about what, what could be possible if you did something differently or if you 
looked at the world and unleashed the, the imaginations of people. And he probably also, from some of his predictions, probably also did not come true, but many of them mm-hmm. did. And then he said, what would that mean? And uh, I, I think we don't have enough futurists today. We have a lot of people playing with technology, but not as many people thinking big. It used to be that every major corporation in, in the world would have, you know, every Fortune 500 type company would have a futurist on staff. They'd have their in-house team. Now I think it's mostly outsourced to consultants, and, and that's probably good for those in the business and people like Ruthby. But uh, I think companies may lose something not having that capability in-house. Very astute, very interesting. I just did a show on uh, this series. Uh, it just aired today. And let's see, today is uh, July 20, 27th. That's right, July 27th, 2016. I've got so many shows, my dates are mixed up. And I had two futurists on, and we talked about the Internet of the Self because we are putting out so much. I, I was introduced to the term digital nutrients every time we do something like take a selfie or post something on Facebook or go do a search somewhere. There are little digital breadcrumbs we're leaving. So the question was, are we creating an Internet of the self? And my, my futurists, you may be interested in, Marlon, were Gray Scott who is the founder of SeriousWonder.com. He's a regular panelist on many of our Coffee Break, on on our Game Changer shows. And David Yonker, J-O-N-K-E-R, who is with SAP, and he was the other futurist. We had very, very lively conversations. So I'm glad you said that. I know where to find the futurists. So if you want to know, you tell me. I've got a bunch of them on (laughs) tap here. They're just on speed dial. Marlon, question for you. One side, privacy. Other side, protection, security, safety. Where do you sit? I probably sit further on the privacy side than Ruth B. does um, because of some personal experience I had, which I'll share. Uh, I actually, yep. through some of my past work life, ended up with a stalker. And because of the ability to find people through public information and having so much out there, I actually was not particularly safe. And Mm-hmm. I found that I had too much data in from out there in the world, but I didn't have an ability, I had no control over that privacy of that data or that information about me that was made public. Therefore, mm-hmm. I had lesser ability to actually protect myself. And what's interesting is at the time when this happened, an FBI uh, agent who was uh, oh. retired from the FBI and was working for the company where I was employed at the time, he said, you have to get off of all social networks. You can't be on LinkedIn. You can't be on Facebook. You can't do this. You can't. And I said, wait, wait hold, time out. LinkedIn is my corporate business network. I, if I mm-hmm. get rid of that, I, I really, my professionally, my career might be harmed. You I don't said, exist. But, uh, but, but I understand what you're saying about Facebook and, and what the information being available and visible to so many different people. And so I, you know, I, I took it seriously and even even to this day, do not have a Facebook profile, and I'm only active in, in, in Twitter and LinkedIn from a professional perspective. So I, I, I really feel that, that we need to be thinking a little bit more strongly about balancing those two and giving citizens some ability to have privacy. Now, that view is different in Europe from how it's interpreted in the United States. In the United States, your data may not be your own. In Europe, there's much greater protection. So I think, I think we have different models that we can look at and different models for building technology that we can look at, too, where privacy may be incorporated. And I think we're starting to see some of those shifts, but I think the debate is still on. If we look at what happened with Apple um, earlier this year being asked to uh, provide a, a jailbreak for their iPhone, 
by the FBI mm-hmm. and eventually not doing it, but the FBI managed to, to break the phone anyway with help of, a, of another company. So I'll just leave it at that and just say that Thank I'm, you. I'm very cautious because I had a very personal security incident myself that was due to my lack of ability to have the privacy I needed in the technology that I used. And the data helped to make you less secure because it was used by the wrong people. Very interesting perspective. I think we've all been working hard enough. I want to give you a chance now to tell me, what are you drinking today? This is the part of our episode called, What's in Your Cup Today? Because you are on Coffee Break with Game Changers. And by the way, anybody out there keeping track, uh, I'm not sure which episode this is because we're pre-recording it for later in August. So I'll have to adjust it. But it's something like 245, something like that. So Sarah Gardner. Where are you calling from, and what are you drinking today, or what are you planning to drink after the show? Well, I'm calling in from the Bay Area, and um, I think probably this will be a common theme for all of us. It's pretty hot here today, so um, it's, what, 11.30 a.m., so probably I'd be working on a second latte by now, but because it's so warm, I'm actually having a a fresh mango protein smoothie with some uh, cardamom in, which is absolutely delicious, and... um, and just a quick plug, the protein powder is actually from my favorite website, which is Clean Program, that um, has uh, very, very tasty protein powder and all sorts of uh, great recipes for smoothies and, and a cleanse program. And that's what I'm drinking right now. Well, thank you. Very interesting. Cardamom. I used that on a Swedish coffee cake once. Burned it so badly in the oven that the fire department came because there was smoke coming out of the apartment window. That was the last well, time. Well, knew it was hazardous as well. I, I, <laughs> I never the, had a problem with it. I use it in curry, too. <laughs> oh, interesting. That was the last time I ever used cardamom, and now it's very hard to find. But it was a Swedish, a round Swedish coffee coffee cake slash bread. And I think some of there might have been some cinnamon in it. The topping dripped on on the on the rack in the oven and it, it it didn't catch fire but it made enough smoke i was living in new haven connecticut at the time and a newly married this goes way 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 back and there's a knock on the door i open it up and the firemen are coming in with axes marlon talk about your safety and your security coming in with axes where's the fire i said just a coffee cake do you want some <laughs> it, was, it was one of those memorable moments but i digress thank you for the memory sorry i appreciate that ruth b where are you and what's in your cup today? I am calling in from my company's headquarters today in Framingham, Massachusetts, and um, I am drinking a Coke Zero. And I have two thoughts about this, and one of the things that you had said on on this segment was to, you know, can tell a personal story. So mm-hmm. I'm drinking this because I am on a constant caffeine drip, basically, um, because I really think there's a change in the market in terms of demand for what I'm doing and, and work in smart cities, so that's very exciting. But the personal side is I don't usually drink these types of drinks because they used to not make me feel very well. Mm-hmm. And then recently I was diagnosed with celiac disease after all these years. Oh. And um, this, there is a point to this story, which is tying back to my quote and the power of no, which is I was obviously quite ill and uncomfortable for many years and it just got worse and worse and worse. But I thought for me in my body that that was normal. It was my paradigm, right? Um, and so it, it goes back a little bit to this culture shift that we're talking about. Um, you know, we have paradigms that we do things and we think they're normal. And in the back of your mind, you might know that it's not effective or the best way or normal, but you, you kind of accept it. 
And so I think that's what I was doing with um, celiac. And so then I had a period of mourning, listing all the things that I couldn't eat, like my grandmother's bread, pie. And then I kind of had to get creative the past couple weeks. Um, I have a new world, right? I can't be uninformed and passive. I have to change and adapt. So I'm telling this story because I think it really relates to our topic, which is, you know, we are talking a lot about change and new things in life and cultural shifts. And um, I think especially with what we'll talk about a couple minutes around policing, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot of tension, especially in the U.S. And I think we have police departments that were maybe a really nice brotherhood, but maybe mostly men or not really reflecting the community, maybe mostly white, and and now they're having some painful reality checks and and complaints. And so they probably have to go through a period of mourning about what Mm -hmm. to be in the good old days, like I did with bread and delicious cookies, (laughs) and and realize that the current situation is not working optimally and that the discomfort they're feeling probably is not not a good normal and they need a new normal. So that's where I am with... um, my celiac and why I've allowed myself to have a Diet Coke today because I am feeling better and I think I can handle it. Well, we're glad you're feeling better and, and thanks for that personal story. I, I very much appreciate your comment about mourning what was the old, whatever the pleasure was. I'm sure it was, uh, it sounds like your grandma's pies are wonderful. And yes, yes. In a way, uh, Ruth B., I think we're talking about personal change management, reflecting on cultural change management, and we need to make changes. So thank you very much for that. Very appreciated. I think you were drinking a, a martini last time we spoke. Was that right? A dry gin martini? I think I was wishing I was drinking. Wishing. You were wishing. (laughs) I'm sorry. I should have phrased that better. Yes, you were wishing. I said after the show, and she said, oh, I'm thinking about a dry gym. I had it in my notes. So thank you very much. Absolutely. I'm glad glad you're okay. Marlon Zelkowitz, where are you today? I think you said D.C., and what are you drinking? Yes, I'm in Washington, D.C. It's hazy, hot, and humid, and the temperature is about 100 degrees Fahrenheit with the heat index, and... I am drinking an iced tea because Washington, D.C. is almost in the south, and there's nothing like an iced tea with lemon and sugar to kind of keep you cool and calm and collected when it's so hot outside. And we're having to adapt to these ever-warmer temperatures and uh, ever-warmer summers and people getting grumpy, so I find an iced tea is just the thing to soothe my nerves. I'm glad, and I, you sound very comfortable to me, so I think it's working. And let's see, what have I got here? Oh, you know the usual, a cool, clear glass of cool water with a cool, I have a clear straw. I ran out of colored straw, so I'm just going to say I can see clearly now. The rain is gone because it was raining and thundering here a couple of days ago here on Long Island in New York, and it is hot and steamy, and I'm glad I'm inside talking to the three of you. Our special guests today are Sarah Gardner and Ruth B. Yesner-Clark and Marlon Zelkowitz. We're talking about a very serious topic, making cities safer and smarter the Internet of Things. How can technology help the powers that be, the infrastructure, the people running everything on which we rely, help them keep us safer? It's not safe out there. I think there's a uh, Slate magazine. I get the Slate dailies. And at the bottom of these headlines, it says, 
You all keep safe out there, and I I actually think they're talking to me, so I think they are. So we are going to take a very quick break and come back with a lot more. We're focusing today on public safety. We're going to talk a little about policing. No, we're not going to get political, and we're going to talk a little bit about transportation. We need to be safer, period, end of story. But how do we balance that with privacy? It can be a double-edged sword, no pun intended. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, and we'll be right back, so don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. You know the drill. Aaron out. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com you're enjoying coffee break with game changers presented by sap you can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com and you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at twitter hashtag sapradio now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Welcome back. We're talking about making cities safer and smarter, the Internet of Things. I'm very happy to be speaking with Sarah Gardner and Ruth B. Yesner-Clark and Marlon Zelkowitz. And we're going to kick off the roundtable with some notes here from Sarah Gardner. Sarah is Chief Technology Officer, CTO, for the Hitachi Insight Group. And Sarah told me the following before the show. She said, public safety is top of mind for city leaders. After all, reduced crime could be a powerful re-election platform for officials. Woohoo! Sarah, why don't you start us off, and then we will invite Ruth B. and Marlon to chime in. So go ahead, Sarah. Sure. Well, there's um, a, a few different um, angles that I want to talk about first. But actually, let me just maybe come back very briefly to the privacy um, uh, comment, because I thought it was interesting how I was pretty bullish on um, protection <laughs> versus privacy, and then um, I think Ruthie was in the middle, and then I think uh, Marlon was uh, was at the uh, at the other end. And you know, in part, that might come from the fact that I grew up in the UK, and probably the UK of all the countries is the one with the most um, cameras and actually monitoring. And I think maybe we have a little bit of a different perspective. Uh, mm. Plus, I'd also like to add as well that when I think about um, data being used by public safety um, entities, um, it's it's. It's with um, all of the appropriate uh, protections and uh, uh, privacy criteria uh, rolled in as well. So I don't want it to come across that I don't care about privacy, but more that I don't want to see progress um, 
jeopardized by uh, by by overly focusing on uh, on that when there's a lot of um, uh, areas, in, particularly in public safety, where actually the data is very very well pr- protected and uh, not uh, used um, in in the wrong way. So let me just talk a bit about public safety first of all. I mean, one of the reasons that uh, public safety is uh, has been a pretty hot area. Um, is, is it's really a perfect entry point for, uh, for, for smart cities. It crosses agency borders. As I said, it's a powerful uh, re-election uh, platform for, for officials. And there's really no shortage of data. I mean, we've been collecting um, data, or police departments have been collecting data uh, in cities for a long time now. I mean, they've had uh, surveillance cameras, uh, other technologies like license uh, plate recognition devices. Sadly, mm-hmm. in the U.S., of course, we need gunshot recorders. Um, so there's been no shortage of, uh, of, of data, but traditionally that data has been quite difficult to kind of correlate uh, together and to really consume in, in real time. So the big trend right now is, is to bring all of those different data sources together and other IoT sources, um, things like uh, uh, radioactive isotope uh, detection, uh, together on a single pane of glass, and because all of these um, different uh, data sources are, uh, are geo and time stamped, you can bring all of these together on a, like a map display uh, in real time. And, and what that means is that uh, police departments have uh, much better what we call uh, real-time situational intelligence, so that they can actually see everything that's happening, they can correlate things together, um, there could be a gunshot go off and a 911 calls coming in from around the area. They could uh, control um, uh, cameras to, to, to reposition them, to uh, capture maybe license plates of uh, fleeing um, uh, perpetrators. I mean, there's a lot of different things that are now capable because we have the ability to blend and bring all of this data um, together. And then on top of that, there's other aspects too. The, the, the fact that we now have uh, the technology to do things like facial recognition and object recognition and tracking uh, behavior anomalies um, in, in, in crowds. We have the ability to better manage and share and collaborate with, uh, with different agencies of this data, which improves um, how evidence is, is captured, collected, and managed. And then, as I mentioned earlier, the really interesting area for me is, is crime prediction. And this isn't quite at the minority report uh, level yet, but it's more taking into um, uh, perspective, all the different factors that can be uh, collected, uh, along with things like social media and uh, other external sources like climate and demographic data, and all the information that we have about uh, crimes that have uh, been committed and, and events across the city, and then using powerful uh, machine learning uh, techniques and, and analytics to start to use that data to build a picture of where you know the relevant what the relevant. Um, uh, levels are of um, expected uh, crime activity in different parts of the city. And that's important for a couple of reasons. And first of all, it means that uh, the police departments can be a lot more prudent about how they police the city and where they deploy officers in. And, and there's statistics already showing that with various different methods of, of crime prediction, cities are already seeing quite a lot of benefits. So I saw some numbers, uh, I think it was for Memphis, that had a 23% reduction in violent mm-hmm. crime six months after rolling out some of their predictive um, algorithms. Um, and then for my home country, uh, West Yorkshire, um, similarly, saw a 25% reduction um, in, in burglaries. So there's other dimensions that we can talk about, but I'll let Ruthie and uh, Marlin weigh in. But, uh, but this is all pretty transformational for police departments. And, of course, for us, the citizens and the cities, it's, it's going to make our lives safer. Definitely. Thank you very much. Good intro to this part of the show. And Ruth B. Yesner-Clark, you're up next. What's your thought on what uh, what Sarah just introduced? Yeah, I mean, I think she, she 
a really good point. And I think, you know, the first point is that there is already lots of data and there has been lots of data. And as we talk about a lot in, in cities, is the, the data is typically in its own systems and, and not easily shared and often not with, a, as she said, that sort of analytics layer that maybe correlates different pieces of data in interesting ways, um, which I think is very interesting. She made the point of, you know, maybe taking environmental data such as radioisotopes and correlating that to maybe other information that, um, you know, a police department might normally not normally be capturing that type of information. And then that piece about consuming things in real time I think is really interesting. When I um, talk with cities in general, I, I think one of the areas they're struggling with, which is sort of why I've brought it up in my other comments, is not that there isn't data or that it might not be available real time, but what's that next step to action that's appropriate? So how do we take that data, maybe take an alert, and then have the process management or project management that actually allows the proper action to be taken place. And I think public safety is so interesting in that way because they're very, you know, they're a paramilitary organization, they're super structured in their operating procedures and in their responses. So they're a really interesting pilot into taking that real-time situational awareness and seeing um, very clearly how an action might produce a result or an outcome that you want or an unexpected outcome, right? And I think when we look at other departments in cities, they don't have that, right? They might get an alert, and if it's new data, nobody really knows what to do, and there isn't a process in place. So I think mm -hmm. that's another important best practice that we could take from public safety is um, what operating procedures and policies they might have had to change based on new data or different ways of consuming data, how that worked, um, because there are really good use cases in being able to act like, as you said, you know, a call comes into 911, we geotag, they know what's happening. They, there is a complete plan in place, you know, for responding. And so I think we could really learn a lot from that and apply it in other places as well. Thank you, Ruth B. Marlon, love to hear your comments on this. Agree or disagree? Any case studies you'd like to share? No, I, I really do tend to agree with what both Sarah and Ruth B. have said, but I, I, you know, talking about the struggling with the next step to action and what are the police departments and the public safety organizations going to do. But I also think there's an important part we, we should probably consider. First, um, probably the police departments themselves are going to need um, to have a new set of skills. It's not just going to be strictly about some of the law enforcement, but actually more analytical capabilities, more um, tech savvy, maybe learning how to analyze and pull together all these different data sources. And I think you're starting to see that in the larger cities, but I think it's going to be more of a struggle in the smaller cities around the world to actually find the people with those skill sets and to compete against uh, tech vendors like ourselves to hire them and to do this kind of really important work. A second thought that I had, and again, maybe it comes from my own perspective of being a citizen in a city that is a really uh, particularly um, particularly public safety conscious. Um, we regularly have our roads shut down when the president is going by with his motorcade or, or other visiting dignitaries. But I think there's something to be said about notifying citizens. And so it's not just enough to be able to take the action and to be able to find perpetrators or to identify where things are happening. But also, how about letting citizens know, maybe avoid certain areas or to, to give alerts, you know, shelter in place, or we have 
bad storms coming in and we're expecting a, a public safety event because of possible flash floods. And we do have, um, you know, we certainly have examples of that, of customers using technology to, you know, send alerts to citizens through mobile devices mm-hmm. and otherwise that they may opt in or self-select for which kinds of alerts they want or which area code, zip code area they would like to get. And I think that's an important part of keeping citizens safe. You know, let's use all this technology and let's also communicate out with the public so that people know what they should do, too. It's not just what the law enforcement officers need to do. Thank you, Marlon. I'm hearing a couple of thoughts, a couple of threads here. One is the need to share best practices among police departments, among governments, talk to each other, find out what's working. I would imagine that today, and anybody tell me if I'm, I'm going in the wrong direction here, that even the smallest city needs to be equally aware of best practices as the big cities that are seeing, quote, unquote, more action. Uh, and so let me circle back to... Sara, for just a moment, Sara, just a quick comment if you'd like to on what your co-panelists just shared on your topic because I'm ready to pick up another thread here from Ruth B. So, Sara, why don't you wrap this for us? Yeah, just a, a couple of points that um, came, came to mind, actually, when, um, when uh, the ladies were, were talking. Uh, one is uh, around the citizen engagement thing. I, I probably um, should mention as well another trend that we're seeing now is uh, smartphone uh, applications for citizens to enable them to help uh, play a role mm-hmm. in, in, in helping the police for everything from public reporting, texting, taking bits, videos, um, photos, automatically uploading it. So there's, there's, a, there's a lot more interaction um, now, I think, with the public uh, in general, although the, the comments about um, alerts um, was, uh, was, was, was a good one. And then secondly, the private-public uh, collaboration as well, the police collaborating with private entities in the city, for example, um, having uh, hotels and restaurants and so on, uh, plugging their video systems um, into the police network. And as we know with the Boston uh, uh, Marathon, that, that tragedy, of course, that, uh, that happened, the actual critical um, evidence there was actually not on a police uh, surveillance camera, but on a department store camera. So I think overall, uh, another aspect that, uh, that, that I'll finish off with is just that what we're seeing with public safety now is that sort of embracing of the citizens and public, um, uh, excuse me, private entities uh, into the overall process as well. Thank you very much. And uh, Ruth B., I'm looking at your notes here, and there are a couple of places we could go, but one line in particular jumps out at me. You say public safety transformation is now extending from the micro, which would be the connected officer, to the macro drones and in-air monitoring. Monitoring, I think that, uh, to me, that ties in nicely with what Sara just mentioned about citizens having access to creating the data to capturing it to contributing it so it sounds like it's a back and forth you want to go into that tech a little bit for us uh, Ruth B would that be interesting for you sure um, yeah I mean one of the things we're talking about is you know how these public safety and law enforcement organizations can use new and emerging technologies um, and part of this of course is around this idea of the internet of things which extends mm-hmm. to wearables and all sorts of um, different types of ways to collect data and ways to get new data and, and interesting data. So when you think of drones, right, they provide a new perspective um, that could help police with events and, and other types of information. And when you think of body-worn cameras, for example, um, they also provide a really personalized, immediate type of piece of information. So that's sort of what we've been interested um, at IDC is looking at some of these new new technologies. And just to take the example of the body-worn camera, which is something we just wrote about, 
you know, we're looking at some of the trends that we've all been talking about around, um, you know, especially in the U.S., um, some lack of trust with the police, some feeling that there isn't transparency around officer-involved shootings, um, some some real questions that um, have led a lot of the police departments to look at body-worn cameras, um, both, both as a protection for the officer, as a way to collect digital evidence, and also as a piece to help the public um, have also a mode of transparency. And I just think it's really interesting when we've seen some of them deployed, uh, been some pretty striking results. So not just around declining use of force um, by the officer, but also a declining complaint by the residents. So we've seen some really interesting outcomes where sometimes there's 50, 60, 75% decline both in um, complaints and in use of force. So it really speaks sort of to what Marlon was saying about um, the impact also on citizens of these technologies, right? So maybe you are going to complain, but then you kind of realize you maybe were not in the right and you really didn't want to go through with it. And um, also you're a police officer, you know, you're being monitored, you really stick to protocol. And so it has this sort of societal effect. And that even extends to the, the justice system. So then we've also seen that this use of this video evidence has um, led to um, fewer domestic cases being challenged in court and um, real market increase in conviction rates around domestic calls, which often can be a he said, she said type of situation or mm-hmm. things like that. So I think we start to see one little piece of technology um, really having a broad impact on a bunch of different players um, in a city or in, you know, in an environment from all the way from the courts down to the police officer to the, you know, resident and person on the street that might be involved with something that needed police intervention. Thank you, Ruth B. Marlon, eager for your comments, thoughts. We had a lot of lot of interesting technology introduced by Ruth B. in that part of the show. So what do you think? So, so I think that if you can bring all of these additional new data sources together and analyze them, you can obviously, get getting back to Sarah's original point, there's a lot more kinds of uh, prediction that you can you can make, which may help you to better um, reduce crime in future or to even identify potential problems and stop them before they happen. But I also think, and, and this is to, to Ruth B's point, some of the uh, increased usage of drones and surveillance equipment and other things can allow the police for, and law enforcement and all the different entities who are focused on public sense, safety to maybe be able to do more with less, you know, to be able to mm-hmm. harness that power of technology and maybe their manpower isn't as great, but they have such great analytical capabilities that they can even increase their effectiveness, especially if they embrace these best practices. So I, I think it's a, I think it offers many possibilities, but it is going to require some change in the way in which people mm-hmm. interact and embracing change is never easy. So it's going to be an evolution, maybe more so than a revolution. Thank you, Marlon. Before I bring in Sarah Gardner into this conversation, I have a question for you. I believe a, f- a few minutes ago, Marlon, you mentioned about it requires a change in the skill set 
of the, of the police, of the uh, the people in charge of putting all this technology together and doing the right thing with it in terms of public safety and security and protection, all the things we're talking about today. My question to you, and then we'll go around the panel, is, is this becoming an exciting place to be as a, a, a leader, as a worker, as a staff person? In other words, is all of this new technology in, in a time of such great turmoil in cities big and small all over the world, will this attract more energy, young people, I'm going to say the M word, millennials. Will this bring in people who aspire to be data scientists and they want to be where the action is, even if it's not the good action? You think there's going to be a new flow of energy with the, from the digital natives into infrastructure and public protection, public safety, Marlon? I think it could. I, I, I would think it would and it should. And I, I, wouldn't, I would say especially if you start looking and saying, you know, you can start working with some of the leading-edge tools and it's a chance for you to, uh, to show your stuff, right? You might have, mm-hmm. You're a digital native. You've already been playing with these. Maybe you can, at an earlier stage in your career, advance professionally and be able to have a more of a leadership position because this is traditionally not an area. Uh, law enforcement is, is traditionally much more feet on the street and boots on the ground kind of a thing. And so I, I think... It actually opens up career possibilities, and, and what you'll probably see a bit of, and I notice I'm certainly seeing this in the Washington, D.C. area, people moving in and out of whether it's some FBI or Homeland Security or other organizations or even the local police, and then into technology and then back again in, in a kind of a circle that, that allows them to gain to use the skills that they've gained in law enforcement, help them improve the products and solutions that are being used, and then back again. So I think we'll see more of that round-tripping. Thank you very much. And, Sarah Gardner, I'm going to let you wrap this one up. We've got about, oh, five and a half minutes left till the end of the show, and I want to make sure we get time for the prediction. So, Sarah, you want to wrap up this topic for us, please? Thoughts? So I guess that's a subtle way of saying be quick, Sarah. So. <laughs> <laughs> the I'll, clock is ticking. <laughs> I'll, I'll, do, I'll do my best. So, um, gosh, I, I mean, I, I agree with everything that's, uh, that's been said. Um, let's see. One, one dimension that I didn't hear mention, which maybe I'll throw in, is the safety aspect as well. So certainly, um, I think, yes, attracting more young people um, mm-hmm. into public safety uh, careers with, with all of this new technology. Uh, also, just as an aside, um, we actually do a lot of public safety solutions at, at Hitachi, and I I can tell you that um, we've been starting off our engineering uh, organization for that area, and we've had no problem with getting uh, candidates applying for those roles. People are super um, interested in this um, area of predictive, uh, predictive crime analytics. But the safety angle, I think I just wanted to make a couple of comments on, um, because um, definitely, you know, along with uh, reducing costs, I mean, a lot of these technologies are reducing costs. But also things like, I'm not sure if... Uh, if Ruthie mentioned this, but centers in first responders' clothes is a, is a new area that uh, I just learned about, um, collecting uh, vital signs of people uh, that are first responders in, um, in disaster um, situations. Plus, of course, the body-worn cameras, aside from the accountability and, and transparency, those are also helping to keep, uh, keep our officers safe as well. So it's really cost and safety are both, both big areas that, um, that are, are, are going to be impacted in a, in a very positive way by a lot of this technology as well. 
Thank you very much. You did great. By the way, let's kick off our predictions Yay. round right now. <laughs> We're in the crystal ball, and since I already have you here, Sara Gardner, why don't you start us off? I'll give you 60 seconds, and that's 60 seconds. That's all we got. What will be different if we met again? Oh, I don't know. Anytime in the future. I like the year 2020, as you know. But uh, what would be significantly different about this topic, making cities safer and smarter, the Internet of Things? Anything you want to you wanna play Toffler and predict or ideate? or envision what might happen. So 60 seconds prediction, Sarah Gardner, go. Sure. Well, actually, we've pretty much talked about most of the things I would have predicted. So increased use of uh, smart drones. Uh, Robotics is not an area that we really got into, but I think um, uh, leveraging uh, robots, we're not talking Robocop here by 2020, but leveraging robots, we're already seeing this in the Bay Area with surveillance at miles like Stanford, for example. Uh, And then, you know, other smart devices for both tracking and also for tracking the health of individuals, like the example I mentioned of these sensors in first responders' clothes. So just basically more and more increased use of technology. Thank you very much. And let's turn to Ruth B. Yesner-Clark. Ruth B., predictions, 60 seconds, however far in the future you want to go. Okay. So 2020 to me is not very far in the future. It's only four Mm -hmm. years away. So I don't exactly know when my prediction will will come in, but let's aim in the in the middle term. I think, as Sarah mentioned, we're going to see, I think we'll see in public safety in particular, much more sleek, easy wearables, um, mm. you know, censored holsters, censored, censored guns, not only body-worn cameras and, and things that are in their clothing to, to detect, um, you know, how they're doing physically. But I think we'll also see a layer of machine learning and improving algorithms over over time and this intelligence that we're seeing that layer on a whole new aspect of analytics and correlations among data that's going to really change and impact um, how we view the information and the physical environment um, in respect to keeping people safe. Thank you. Marlon Zelkowitz, I saved 60 seconds for you. Please give us your predictions. Sure. So I, I would two areas I'd like to focus on. One, I think it's going to be a reduction in traffic accidents, fatalities, because we're going to have more driverless cars out there, and they're going to have the sensors that are going to cause them to, once perfect them, they'll be able to stop, not run over bicycles and people and, and other kinds of things. So we'll, we'll see this improvement in public safety in that respect. And I think we're going to see reduced health care expenditures because people will have more of these sensors and monitors that they're wearing. You'll be able to actually um, identify issues before they happen, identify the problems so that they don't become so severe, so you reduce some of those longer-term stays in hospitals and other kinds of things. And then, you know, also in the areas of food safety, I think we'll also see better use of sensors, reduction of incidents like food poisoning, which is in an area we've talked about today, but it's also important for public safety. Thank you very much. And ladies, I'm not going to predict. I'm going to put a wish out there on the table. I wish that technology and smart technology and smart cities and smart people will outpace the nefarious parts of humanity that are making us have these conversations. I'm just going to leave that on the table. So I'm hoping by 2020 we are so much farther along in terms of public safety in cities, big and small, all over the world, that we can delight in having these conversations instead of thinking about all the bad stuff we need to prevent and detect and analyze and 
get rid of. So that's my thoughts. Sarah Gardner, Sarah Gardner, CTO, Hitachi Insight Group. Such a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you for your insights. Ruth B. Yesner-Clark, IDC Research Director, Smart Cities. Delighted to have you. Thank you so much. And Marlon Zelkowitz, you did add color commentary as you plan to. SAP Director, Internet of Things, Future Cities, and Public Sector Industry Solutions. Shout out to Aaron, our engineer at World Talk Radio. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here's my call to action. Well, how appropriate. I think we talked about transportation. Fasten your seatbelt. Who knows how many sensors are going to be in it by 2020 and who's going to be receiving that data? What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Stay safe out there. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign SAPRADIO. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.